As we step into our scripture this morning, we do so prepared to do just that, to bear the cross and to tell the world of the love that we've found. Jesus says in these words in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Those are Jesus' words for us today. They kind of feel a little bit like hammer blow after hammer blow of the law, the crippling law of Christ. And I think that Jesus' words today really inspire us to go on a journey looking for love, looking not just for twisted love, not just for whatever love we can offer, but looking for perfect love. So be gracious with me as we go on that journey this morning. Because in the beginning was love. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Trinity existed in this perfect intimacy, in this perfect unity, in this perfect love. And God sends his son out. The word of God, the eternal word of God, he sends him out in love to create worlds so that they would exist to be loved and to be perfectly loving. And they were. 
As the word of God goes out, worlds form that are in perfect relationship with each other, light and darkness, land and sea, plant and animal, human beings, and the creation that God gave them to steward. They were in perfect relationship with each other, in perfect relationship with God. In the beginning, our world was created to be perfectly loved and perfectly loving. We messed that up. And as Adam sinks his teeth into the fruit, the poison of the tainted love of the tree infects every fabric of creation. And rather than removing love from his creation, rather than removing the human ability to love and leaving us with the absence of love and some kind of apathy, he gives us the ability to love, but now it's twisted. It's contorted into something kind of hideous. It's out of this twisted love that murder and adultery grow. And that's what Jesus deals with this morning. When Jesus begins his sermon on the mount, he is speaking into a world of twisted love and trying to show it perfect love. And he starts with murder. And if if you're like me, you read what Jesus says about murder and you think, Jesus, you could have stopped after that first verse. Why, Why do you have to keep going? Because you shall not murder is a hard enough command for us to keep as a society. We look around us and we see murder all over the place. We see human beings taking other human beings' lives. To reduce murder to just being angry seems like it's something that just makes God's eternal commandments kind of trivial. Like when I'm going up to a stoplight and the person in front of me stops short on a yellow one, I know that we could have both made it through, and so I'm a little bit upset. But you can't seriously get me to believe that just because I was angry in that moment, I'm just as guilty as the person who sits on death row because of the families they tore to pieces or the shooter, or somebody who thoughtlessly takes the life of another. My wife and I were watching this Netflix series, and we're really bad at choosing Netflix series, so I would not recommend this one. But there's a character in the series who shows a little bit of what anger might be able to do. She struggles with anger, and she... She does for good reason. Her, her husband had been killed in a hit-and-run accident. The, the person that she loved was taken from her. So she's angry. Love is twisted. And in that anger, she finds little ways to express it here and there, to try to express her anger in a healthy way. But the more she expresses it, the less she has control over it. And it comes out... Like in that example, in traffic, in strings of insults toward people that she's never met. And then it starts later on to come out a little bit more in strings of insults toward people she knows, people she has met, people that she's close with. And it comes out in strings of insults here and there and all over the place until eventually she starts, these strings of insults start having the goal of bringing somebody's humanity and their worth down to nothing. Like saying, you fool, you are worthless. 
This anger grows from insults. It grows to calling human beings worthless. It grows until a moment when she's in the backyard with another person, the very object of her anger, and as she begins to lose the word of wars, her rage boils over until she grabs whatever she can get her hands on and hits him in the back of the head, and as he falls unconscious into the pool, in her panicked rage, she does nothing. kind of a sobering reminder that anger isn't innocent. See, no matter where we are, as we hear this command from Jesus, we are on a slope. Whether it's stopped at anger or stopped at insults or stopped at treating other people like they're worthless as we turn our heads while they're just asking us for help on the side of the road and pretend that they don't exist, or we go all the way to murder, we are on a slope, a slope that leads toward hell. Jesus helps us recognize that. And he gives us an anecdote to anger to stop our progress down that slope. And that anecdote to anger is reconciliation. Reconciliation, which really is kind of a church word because we talk about reconciliation so often as we point to the cross and see this event where Jesus gave his love, he gave his life in perfect love to reconcile us with God the Father. But in this verse, Jesus says, don't even worry about that. Look around you and be reconciled to the people around you. Be able not to just find ways to express your anger, not just to try and repress your anger, but to deal with your anger, to deal seriously and honestly with your anger by by actually confessing sins, things that we've done wrong, confessing that we have sinned in anger by actually forgiving people for things that they've done. The antidote to this anger is reconciliation. And reconciliation is something that happens in the community of God only because God brings us reconciliation. He tells us, go, be reconciled first to your brother. See, the first form of twisted love is anger. It's that twisted love that tries to remove everything in the path of the one object that is loved that has to be possessed. And the cure for that is reconciliation because it reorients us toward love of God, the forgiveness that only he can bring. The second way that love is twisted in our world, and there are plenty more, but the second way that Jesus deals with it is lust, right? Sex, divorce. But we don't really have an issue with that in our society, so I'm just going to move on. We'll talk about oaths and maybe not. I was Googling to see what our world says about love this week, and this is what I came up with. This is a definition from Collins Dictionary. Love is a very strong feeling of affection towards someone who you are romantically or sexually attracted to. I'm going to read that one more time. Just think about the implications of what they're defining love as. Love is a very strong feeling of affection towards someone you are romantically or sexually attracted to. You see, when Jesus deals with adultery, 
he doesn't just deal with adultery. Right? He doesn't just deal with the brokenness of sex in our world. And we can look around our world and see brokenness of sex and point it out as much as we want. It doesn't make one way worse than another. But as we see the brokenness and confusion in our world over the concept of love, we have a God who is not confused in the least. And he sees how love is twisted. We see it even in the garden as Adam begins to blame Eve for the sin. The, the one who, she, who he was supposed to serve, the one for the, in creation that he was supposed to steward as his closest relationship, now rather than seeing her as a way of God conveying to him happiness, peace, and blessing, he sees her as a nuisance. You see, this love is twisted by lust every single time we look at another human being and we don't say they're worthless, but rather we say we know exactly how much they're worth. And we can commodify humans. We objectify. And sometimes objectifying humans can still look pretty pretty in a, in a happily married couple who sees one another as the object of their happiness. But even as we try to see happiness given to us by other broken humans, the love kind of begins to twist and contort almost imperceptibly at first. But then as it grows and grows and that relationship continues, the love that started becomes almost unrecognizable. Jesus says, we don't need to just concern ourselves with a list of adultery Every time we look at another human being with lustful intent, every time we look at another human being and try to figure out what we can get out of them, we have twisted love. Sometimes in our relationships, sometimes with the ones that we are closest to, and sometimes the relationship is completely removed and, and we find ourselves scrolling through pornography or Instagram or TikTok, looking at people, lusting after people without the relationship even there, and we feel like our heart, our love is so twisted and contorted that we couldn't possibly, couldn't possibly be loved anymore. And yet, Jesus loves you with a perfect love. And he tells you how to combat lust through self-sacrifice. These words of Jesus can sometimes be confusing. Every time your hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. But the reality is we, we could try to take that seriously and we'd all be limbless and we'd still be sinners. Right? If, we, if you were going to take Jesus' words literally, you have to go find that guy in Indiana Jones' Temple of Doom who likes to rip hearts out and then, and then you can rip your heart out and throw it away and then maybe take it literally. Right? Because it's our human heart that causes us to sin. It's the fact that our entire desire is wrong and twisted. We need a heart transplant. And Jesus shows us perfect love by sacrificing his entire self, not just his hand, not just his eye, but his entire life sacrifices his life for us. 
Not just so that we can sit here and look at the cross and think, wow, that was really cool that Jesus did that. But he actually invites us into that same life of sacrifice. Maybe you've heard those words before that the Apostle Paul writes, Brothers, do you not know that you who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into a death like his? In the same way, we are baptized into a resurrection like his. You see, after baptism, every single day, we live remembering that baptism. We live to sacrifice our entire selves, to give up our heart, to confess that it is dirty and unclean with the twisted love we've been giving, and to receive a new heart again, the heart that Jesus wins for us in his death and resurrection. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, shows us how to live a life of freedom, of reconciliation that combats anger, and a life of sacrifice that combats lust. And I know that it's easy, and we talked about this a little bit last week, it's easy to see the words of the Sermon on the Mount and say, okay, this is the stuff I have to do to inherit the kingdom of heaven. And that's not what Jesus is saying. And it's also easy to say, throw our hands up and say, well, We can't do that. That's impossible. How are we going to figure that out? But it's okay. Jesus did it for you. And and that much is true, but it's really reductive of what Jesus is trying to do here in the Sermon on the Mount because the Sermon on the Mount is not about what. It's not about what we do, but it's about who. It's about who we are, who Jesus is. Jesus loved you with a perfect love. A perfect love that actually lived in accordance with the law he presents to us in the Sermon on the Mount perfectly. That's that's what that sacrifice was all about. Jesus loving you with a perfect love. And he shows you what it actually means to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. The point of the Sermon on the Mount is who? We have to enter this sermon through the doorway that Jesus gives us. And the only doorway into this sermon is to read that first line, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are all of those who read this long list of commandments that I'm about to give you and say, I know I failed. I know I can't accomplish it. Blessed are all of those who hold on to Jesus and his righteousness. And what does he say? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You are citizens of the kingdom of heaven because Jesus loved you with a perfect love. And After answering who we are, Jesus answers how that means we should live. That means that as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, even if I can't accomplish it perfectly, this life of freedom reconciling with my brothers and this life of sacrifice is who I am. That's what I do. And when Jesus returns on the last day, we will actually throw off anger and throw off lust and it will no more have any impact on us and our love will be perfect. Because in the experience of our world, 
We are often speeding down the highway to hell just trying to look for an exit. But what Jesus does is pick us up from that slope, pick us up from that highway, and he puts us on a different slope, on the highway to heaven, where the end of that highway is being perfectly loved and perfectly loving. That's the end for us. In the meantime, we long to be perfectly loving even while we're perfectly loved. We long for that by giving our lives to reconciliation and to sacrifice for the sake of the people around us, trying to mirror the love of Jesus who makes us perfectly loved, perfectly loving. Amen?